Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome to another episode of the Sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and as always, I'm pumped, honoured, and excited that you've joined us for what's going to be another incredible episode. Now, this week, we're joined by sales practitioner, sales guru, Kyle Coleman. And this is all about tactics. And Kyle is an absolute gun when it comes to turning cold into hot. He's worked for a number of businesses, a number of startups that have gone to hyper growth and have done amazing things. And Kyle drops some incredible value in this episode for anyone that's looking to grow their top of the funnel pipeline. And I am absolutely pumped and excited to share this with you. But before we get into this great episode, continue to like, rate, and share wherever you listen to your podcast. And the competition continues. So for those guys and and gals that have sent in some pics of rating our podcast, your books are on their way. So thank you for participating in this awesome little competition. Guys, continue to share and send me pics on LinkedIn so I can send you out some great books. So before we get into it, we have a message from our sponsors, Vanilla Sales. So guys, for all of you out there, for most sales professionals, we are all using a CRM. You know, CRM was designed for managing relationships. However, sales engagement is designed for starting them. Now, current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time and make less than two attempts to contact them and are only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is a sales engagement platform like no other. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing qualified leads into sales qualified leads. So guys, if you're using another sales engagement platform, stop right now and head over to VanillaSoft.com. Get yourself a free trial because it will help you close more deals. It will help you have more conversations so you can get more opportunities in your pipeline and close more deals. So thank you to the team at VanillaSoft for bringing you this podcast on how to close more deals. So guys, we'd love to connect and hope you enjoy this incredible podcast. Kyle, welcome to the show, mate. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome, man. I'm actually really excited about this episode, um, you know, to, to talk about everything, sort of demand gen, growth, um, outreach, sales. So again, you know, I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Yeah, absolutely. It's I could talk about this for hours and hours. I don't know how we're going to keep it to 30 minutes. <laughs> I know we've already, for, for the listeners, we've already spent the last sort of 20 minutes talking about outreach strategies and what to do and what you shouldn't do. So it's actually been really cool already. Um, so I thought we better get going. Um, but mate, before we get into this, you know, awesome topic about, you know, c- conducting, you know, prospecting strategies using email and, and other strategies for demand gen and, and, and sales, We'd love to hear about how you got in, involved in the world of sales and a bit about yourself. Yeah, sure thing. So my first gig out of college was selling financial services uh, as a financial advisor at Edward Jones, uh, literally going door to door in the heat of the South in the US in a full suit and tie, um, trying to you know hawk my wares in the height of the Great Recession in the United States. So this is in 2010. 
Uh, so, you know, maybe not the best career planning <laughs> on my side, but um, it, it taught me a lot. I mean, I learned a, a boatload in the about a year or so that I was doing it, uh, just about how to talk to people, um, how to empathize with people, how to understand their needs. And so I, I, I moved, I got pretty disillusioned with the world of financial services and, and moved out to California and, and got into an advertising agency. And that was my first kind of foray into B2B. And from there, I jumped over to an early stage startup. I was a sixth employee at a company called Looker, which is a BI data analytics company based in California. And I was the first kind of sales and marketing hire. Um, and I was doing everything as you do at an early stage startup, yeah. just wearing every hat doing whatever I could to contribute to the business and ended up gravitating toward the SDR function. Um, found that the SDR function was like this kind of perfect intersection of building process while also using the sales skills that I had learned um, in the, the previous four or five years of my career to implement it and help a company scale. So I grew the SDR team from just me to about 65 people over the course of about six years wow. as the company. The company scaled to about 800 people, um, about 100 million in revenue, and then was acquired by Google in the summer of 2019 for two and a half billion dollars. Oh, so wow. that went pretty, yeah, it went pretty well. Mate, that's in, that's an incredible story. It's like a Mark Reverge story, mate. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty awesome. It was <laughs> that pretty is awesome. fantastic. So, I mean, what did you? I mean, what did you learn during that stage? Was that high, so? Obviously, you know, the SDR function would have been a big part of the growth um, of the business you know, going to actually 65 people. What were some of the learnings you took from that, from that early stage? Yeah, so I, I, I joke with people that I'm a middle child. And so my <laughs> whole life, I've been mediating in some way or another. And, <laughs> yeah. and I found that this SDR function for me was, was kind of perfect for what I had, these skills I'd been honing over my whole, my whole life, um, mediating sales and marketing people and figuring out how to take the language that marketing is, is speaking and translate that into sales language and vice versa. So yeah. I developed this kind of fluency uh, in both languages, sales and marketing, and found that the SDR organization is the one that really should connect the two. Yeah. So for the first, the first couple of years at Looker, about two-thirds of our revenue was outbound generated from wow. the SDR team. And, and that started to taper off a little bit as we got more um, brand yeah. awareness and, and things like that. But it was amazing how much having a smart and focused and, uh, and, and thoughtful and strategic SDR team can help with messaging resonance. Yeah. We can be the ones, SDRs can be the ones that are putting your message in front of the right people at the right time in a way that no other sort of go-to-market strategy can at scale. And so we would take what we learned and, and we would uh, take that analysis, subject lines, open rates, response rates, all the keywords by industry, by persona, slice and dice it a million different ways. And we would report back to the marketing team and say, this is what's resonating. This is what's not. You need to change what's on looker.com right yeah. now because we know it's not working. And so we were able to work together in this, uh, create more of an ecosystem where the whole team, um, revenue team was working really, really closely together to figure things out in the early days. And it absolutely accelerated our growth. Well, wow. you know, this is, this is a, a, a perfect timing to be having this sort of discussion, right? And I think we spoke before we got in, you know, started this episode that there's a lot of noise out there. There's yeah. a lot of noise by so-called experts about what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. And I think, right. you know, 2019 in my eyes is not a long time ago, right? And to sell a business to, to Google for a significant amount of money using, you know, outreach, a scalable outreach methodology as a way to grow your team is still, uh, you know, one of the, the most effective strategies going around. And I think that the, 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 the 
the risk we have at the moment um, with some of that noise is people are saying those traditional, you know, the SDR function, cold email, really focusing on your ideal customer profile and targeting them direct is still one of the most effective ways to grow your business, right? 100%. And I think why I'm really excited and, you know, people go, well, how can you get excited about talking about cold email? But I think the reason why I'm so excited is because, you know, um, I'm, we're talking to a practitioner. You've done it. You've grown SDR. You're managing right now in your current business, um, sales enablement, demand gen, you know, the, the, the actual um, what enables a business to grow. So this is, you can sort of demystify some of those, some of those theories that so-called experts are talking about. Absolutely. So, so, mate, we'd love to really understand from your perspective, um, I think a lot of us get hooked up on the activity, so the phone call, the email, but I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done before we execute. And, uh, and that's it, you know, my, I'm kind of leading with this, right? But, in your, you know, from, from your perspective, what's the strategy that you implement, you know, a couple of things that you do prior to actually even sending an email or talking to your target prospect? Yeah, really good question. And I'm actually going to back up a step even further, Luigi, because I think it's, it's important. Um, when I joined Clary in April of 2019, um, Clary was about six years old. And Clary did not have a literal definition of an ICP, an ideal customer profile. Yeah. It wasn't written down anywhere. It wasn't memorialized. It, it was not, there, there was no understanding um, on the field or among the field sellers which accounts they should be targeting and why. And that was that is the first step. You have to put some guardrails on which accounts are the best fits for your product. Because what we what I saw happening in the first QBRs I sat in on was reps just wanted to chase whatever the sexiest logo was <laughs> in their yeah. patch. And we had some reps that were going after like old school manufacturing companies, where we had successful reps going after B two B tech companies that yep. actually will early, be early adopters for a, for a startup like ours. And and so we had to rein it in. And you can't just define an ICP. You have to define the ICP and give your sellers a tool to find those ICP mm. fit companies in their territories. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be super complicated or you know, rocket science in any major way. Like for us, it's they use Salesforce, they have a certain number of salespeople, and they're in these key industries. Yep. Pre pretty basic, right? And that we'll hone it as... Yeah, yeah. It, do it doesn't need to be super complex, but just like give a direction, give a push. And and those things are all completely searchable on LinkedIn Sales Navigator. So now yeah. it's super easy for any rep to go in and say, here are the 65 ICP fit companies in my patch. And that's who I'm yeah. focusing on. These are my priority one accounts. It's like, great. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the first step. Um, that makes sense to you? Absolutely. So just to you know, confirm for our listeners, the very first thing is, making the you know realizing that not everybody's your customer or not everybody right. is your prospect yes. and you know identifying who those target accounts are and then making them a priority versus chasing any shiny potential particular and i see that all the time and that impacts you know it bloats the pipeline because there's stuff that gets thrown in that shouldn't be there Yes, And then the messaging doesn't resonate. It impacts conversion. They focus their time on accounts that are just never going to buy from them. And they're not focusing their time on accounts that essentially should be taking their focus and priority. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So once you have those accounts and, and you've narrowed that entire universe down to a more manageable sort of yeah. bite-sized uh, piece, 
then you absolutely have to understand your personas. Yeah. And what I mean by that, and I know we talked about this before, I don't want to just give fluffy advice, know your personas, of course yeah. you should. The way to do that is to study their day-to-day, really understand how are they filling eight or 10 hours in a workday? What are they doing? What are the pains that they experience on a day-to-day basis or week by week or month by month, whatever it is, what are the pains that they experience? And then how does your solution help alleviate or solve those pains? So we literally have a, a, a doc that's called our persona pains and gains doc. Yeah. Where we have a sales operations persona. We have seven or eight key things that they just hate doing or they lose time to or are really painful. And then we have one liners about how Clary helps solve those pains. Yeah. And we give those snippets. We enable our, our team with those snippets for them to use to cobble together personalized emails with. So this is, and this is going to be a theme of what we talk about here, but every personalized email does not need to be 100% bespoke for the recipient. There should be elements of it that are templatized. And there are, of course, elements that are personalized, but it's totally fine for your value prop for that persona or for that industry to be the same every time you say it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And if you as a seller understand those pains really, really well and really deeply by talking to people, doing research, really studying the answers and not just, you know, copy and pasting. That's how you start to be able to write messages that resonate. So this is a really interesting topic, right? Um, so what you're suggesting is, and, and maybe I've, I hope I've heard you correctly. So what you're suggesting is if you do the research right on the ICP and then the buyer persona and you're understanding the pains and then the gains as a result of how your product can help them, Yep. So the benefit, not the feature, the benefit, then there is an element of that doesn't need to be hyper personalized emails because the ICP, the buyer persona, if clear, are suffering from some of the same symptoms. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. I think the guidance that I think makes the most sense is that your personalized emails should be about 20% personalized. Okay. And that's the the intro line about why specifically you why luigi am i reaching out to you specifically what did i learn about you what do i know about you or your company that sparked the initial outreach yeah but then the way that anything you communicate about your product why write the same thing over and over again <laughs> you should have you know if if you if i see on your profile that you're struggling with you know, forecast accuracy or that you're responsible for forecast accuracy. I should have a one-liner in there about how Clary helps people like you with forecast accuracy. And there's no problem whatsoever with that being type form, with that being templatized. Okay, fantastic. And so, all right, so let's take this, right? You're You're a sales pro listening to this. You haven't got, you know, an awesome sort of VP of growth sitting in their office to help them with all this. So you're sitting there, you're working from home like millions of us are now working from home. You're yep. going, oh, how do I prospect and, and what should I be doing next? And I'm sending emails, I'm not getting responses. So let's go back to basics. And I think you wrote an incredible LinkedIn article um, that you know really broke it down well. Um, let's actually talk about, and, and hopefully after this, you can send us a couple of examples of high-performing emails that you've sent out so we can Definitely. we can actually attach links in the show notes for people to see real-life examples. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you walk us through from, you know, what you've seen from thousands and thousands, probably millions of emails <laughs> that have gone out, you know, what does a great email look like that's going to get open rate and click through? 
Yeah, really good question. Um, there's not necessarily one a one size fits all yeah. answer, but there are definitely commonalities uh, among them. And uh, again, just to frame things up a little bit, I, I want to um, revisit something that I just said and something a theme that we've sort of talked about yeah. already. You you can't just send one email to a person yeah. and ex- and expect them to respond. <laughs> and the reason for that, it's not your fault. It's, it's not their fault. Uh, it's because they're inundated, especially email marketing. They're completely inundated with noise. The rise of marketing automation software like Marketo and Eloqua and, mm. and you know others um, was followed very swiftly by the rise of sales automation software, yeah. which means that you know I get I don't know how many emails you automated emails you get every day. I get close to triple digits every day. Yeah, and so my default for the most part, and I have a super soft spot for SDR cold outreach, <laughs> yeah. and my default is still to delete unless I see in the subject line in that little email preview line that you get in every email mm. client. If I see that that's personalized and it's about me or something that's top of mind for me, then I'll click. But you have to figure out a way to break through the noise, um, yeah. and you have to follow up multiple times. So I might miss that first one that you send me. No fault of your own. I'm yep. just automatically deleting. So when I say that email should be about 20% personalized, it's because you can't take half an hour to write every email. Mm. You just you won't be successful. You have to find the right balance between uh, personalization and automation or templatization in order to play something of a volume game in okay. order to maximize your, your chances of success. So this is really interesting, right? Because there's a couple of things you're talking about now. It's, I think, the land of the buyer is that information overload, right? From Facebook to Instagram to LinkedIn to to Twitter to WhatsApp to TikTok. I mean, there's all these platforms. People are getting multiple notifications, not multiple, hundreds of notifications every day. And the message, you know, um, is coming through and and sometimes people aren't even seeing it, right? So that's first point. Right. Right. Information saturation cutting through and having a relevant cadence that's going to try to pique their interest to open. So, I mean, those, those, those two are key um, strategies that you're using to drive email engagement. So let's talk about that subject line, you know, because some of it saying, oh, so personalized, do I just put their name? Do I put, you know, John <laughs> from <laughs> X? Is that personalized or or... or what does good personalization look like from that subject line? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the The best guidance I can give for subject lines is keep them short. Okay. One to three words is the kind of the sweet spot. Um, try to avoid using their company name. Yep. That tactic has been completely uh, overused and is killed. now no longer working. <laughs> yeah, killed. Um, I, I, I think that if if you have personalized something well, the, the rest of the email well, or at least the opening, I, I should say, then using the words you or your in a subject line, you know, your press release or your article on LinkedIn or whatever it may be, um, I think that's a, still a pretty good tactic. I know it's one that John Barrows has made popular and, yeah. and maybe is less effective because of its popularity. But the reason that keeping it short is so important, the subject line, is because what I mentioned before, every single email client in the world shows the first 20 or so words of the actual email itself. Yeah. Don't don't compromise that real estate with a really long subject line. Okay. So have a, a subject line that's really short that bleeds into the first line or frames up that first line of your email so that 
you maximize the chance of the person a realizing that this is not just another automated email and b that they open it up yep. that's that's the best you can do with subject lines and, and intros okay so the objective of the subject line is to get them to stop scrolling yep see it open it correct right that's the objective and so from your perspective if you were to run a campaign um you know, if we were on a campaign, which is, you know, you've got your target persona and your, your ICP, bang, what is a sort of, what is the performance metric you would want to achieve on open rate? For personalized emails that you're taking, the rule that I try and abide by is if you're doing about five minutes of research, you should get about five key facts on somebody and take about five minutes to write the email. That's the five by five by five. Okay. And it's way easier said than done. It's aspirational for sure. Like any other muscle, it takes some time to build. <laughs> so five by five by five. If you can do that, you're in really, really good shape. So that's 15 it, minutes. Yep. Yep. Okay. So 15 um, minutes. No, yeah. Yeah. Five, f five minutes of research to get five little bits of information and then five minutes of writing. So it's about 10 minutes. Okay, 10 minutes. And the... If you can do that, you can send probably about 20 to 25 personalized emails every day. That's a, that's a pretty good amount, pretty high volume, um, among all the other things that you need to do on yeah. the phone and on LinkedIn and everything else. So if you're doing that and you're getting about a 10% response rate, you're doing very, very well. 10% response rate. I hesitate, Luigi, to think about open rate yeah. as a success metric because who knows? right? Who, who knows what's opening or what's counting as an open. And there's a lot of false data there. You can't fake responses. Yeah. And I don't even care about sentiment of responses. Like some people say, well, don't you care if it's a, a yes or a no? I'm like, not really. Yeah. If they're responding to me. I either get to move forward with them or I get to take them off my list. Either way <laughs> is a good outcome. So okay. like, yeah. <laughs> All right. So th this is really interesting, right? So um, the five by five by five rule. Okay. Um, sending 25 emails a day and then obviously there's follow-up because yep. you you spoke about it a little bit earlier. We spoke about cadence. So we said, know your buyer, the ICP buyer, get the emails out. So you need cadence, right? Yep. So if I'm, spending tw if I'm sending 25 new emails, I'm also following up on older. Yep. And am I adding other channels like phone, LinkedIn messaging, emails are you adding multiple multiple channels to touch the prospect 100% yes and okay. what's what's really interesting about the the follow up emails that you mentioned we'll talk about that first and then we'll get on to the omni channel sort of approach yep. is if you did good research first you don't have to do it again so in that initial wow. 5 by 5 by 5 that's why you get five different pieces of information you don't need to mention them all in the first email yeah, that yeah. you send you can drip them out one after the next. And that's how you start to be, be able to do this at a slightly, you know, at the clip of the five minutes of writing. And are you building sequences to support your cadence so that you can at least get some sort of, you know, efficiency in your outreach? Exactly right. Yeah. So we have our, we use outreach for our sales automation. Yeah. And the sequences that we have set are very specific about the timing at which the sale, the emails need to be executed but none of the emails are automatically sent. So the SDR will get a notification that says you need to follow up with this person and you know you can see the first email. Ah, okay. There. So it's it's not it's not a it's not an auto push. 
no. it's based on task. Correct. However, st- about 80% of the email is already written for them. Yeah. So all they need to do is write the first, you know, the intro line and then hit send. But they're, they're actually having to hit send on every single person that we put in these high value yeah. uh, sequences. So this is re- this is actually a, a super awesome topic, right? Um, so 25 emails, new emails a day, but we're using that previous research to do the, the secondary, the third, the fourth. What sort of activity metrics, if I'm, if I'm an SDR, right? Let, let's just take SDR, we'll go top of the funnel, SDR. What sort of activity metrics should I be um, expecting to, to achieve on a daily basis to drive pipeline performance? Great question. And it's very much related to your previous question about the kind of the omni-channel approach. We, I think it's really important not just to set minimum thresholds for activity, but also maximum. And the reason I say this is because you need to do a lot of everything. (laughs) You can't just send emails. You can't just make phone calls. You can't just live on LinkedIn. You have to do a lot of all of it. And so what we give our team are guardrails to work within And we give weekly activity metrics, not daily, because day-to-day just changes too much. The meetings you go to, the things you have to do, some people treat their day differently. So we trust our team to say, you need to send between 150 and 250 personalized emails this week. If you're doing more than that, then you're not making enough phone calls. If you're doing less than that, then you're not sending enough personalized emails. And so we give those activity ranges for uh, personalized emails, for automated emails, for LinkedIn activity, for phone calls. Um, And the reason that I I call out automated emails as being important as well is because you can't treat every prospect, unfortunately, with this amount of attention. We we save this kind of really high touch approach for people that we deem to be decision makers within these accounts. So they're like your priority. Exactly. For people who are probably a little bit less senior, who maybe would be use case champions of ours, but aren't going to be the ones, you know, signing Mm. the dotted line. We don't need to, we feel comfortable enough that our general messaging for their persona will yep. be totally sufficient without the additional step of personalized research. Yep. Awesome. So just, you know, there's, there's, there's probably three episodes we could, we could, you know, build out from this particular episode, <laughs> right? There's so much awesome stuff happening here. And, and what, what we're just going to go back a step because that is key is when you're chasing enterprise-based accounts, when you're looking at the org structure, it's knowing who to spend more time on because and, and and as you said if they're a key decision maker you're obviously going to be a lot more um delicate with the message that you're putting in front of them especially yep. when they're one of your top you know priority accounts so you know again i, I just want to reinforce what you just said then but go back a step if it's okay so 250 emails a week what's what are some of the call volumes you're expecting your top of the funnel um you know guns to be producing on a weekly basis to drive that pipeline velocity? Yeah, about the same sort of number as the personalized emails. So somewhere between 150 and 250 a week is kind of where yeah. we like to live, 30 to 50 a day normally if you if you kind of parse it out by day. Um, but yeah, I, there's the range. I can't emphasize enough how important yeah. the range is here. It gives the SDR team more freedom and more autonomy to find a mix that works really well for them. Yeah. That's optimal for them in their territory. There may be nuanced differences in their, yeah. their different territories or with their different account set or whatever it may be. So yeah, um, personalized and, emails and number of calls is about the same. Okay. And the metric for the way they measure their, their success is booked meetings, right? For an AE, you've got that sort of um, 
assembly line model in your business? So what's interesting is we, that's a leading indicator and that's, yep. you know, we celebrate every time we get one of those. Yeah. But comp the plans, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The virtual gong now. Um, comp plans for SDRs are about sales qualified opportunities. Yep. So the handoff from SDR to sales is what we call a stage zero opportunity. And SDR doesn't get comped until it reaches stage one. It's qualified by the rep because we want to make sure that the meeting gets set up, that the meeting actually happens, yeah. and that the meeting was actually good. <laughs> okay, so it's not just meeting held. So you're not paying them on meeting held, you're paying them on meeting qualified. That's right. And this is, I think, unique to where we are um, in, our, in our stage as a company. Yeah. If we were earlier stage, if we were Series A or Series B or something like that, and we were still trying to figure out our ICP, we want to talk to as many people yeah, as we can. Absolutely. Anybody with a pulse, get them in front of, like, yeah. let's get them in front of our sales team. So the comp plan would probably, I would suggest a different comp plan for earlier stage company. But where we are, it's all about qualified pipeline. And myself as a leading our growth team, it connects what we're doing from demand gen, what we're doing in SDR, and what we're doing in enablement, yeah. all to what matters to the sales team, which is actual pipeline. Yeah. So that's it's the metric that makes sure that you know the handshake agreement between our departments exists. Yeah, that's great. And for anyone listening to this, for any VP, SVP, EVP, you know, depending on, regardless of what your role is, is again, there's another episode here which is about metrics, and I'm a big, big fan of metrics. Yep. And I could only assume that you're measuring meetings booked, um, meetings held, sales qualified opportunities. And then, you know, I don't know your sales process, but how many then get to a point of proposal, proposal exactly. to sale, et cetera, right? So you're measuring exactly. every element of the sales process. Exactly. And yeah. what's really, what's great about this is we have conversion rate metrics for each handoff step. Yep. So we know what percent of our marketing qualified accounts should become opportunities. Mm. We know what percent of the opportunities created should become qualified. And we know what percent of those qualified opportunities should become closed business. Yep. And each team, each stakeholder is individually responsible for maintaining that right ratio, that right conversion rate. So for example, the SDR team from stage zero to stage one, yeah. if an individual SDR's conversion rate from stage zero to stage one is 100%, that's not a good thing. That means that they're qualifying too much yeah, out. Everything. Yeah. Right. So we want it to be somewhere around 60 to 70%. That means that you are bringing in high quality but you're also taking a few risks mm. along the way and you're, you're saying yes to maybe a little bit more than you technically should yep. if you were living letter to the law of our qualification criteria. Absolutely. I mean, because that are we a good fit could be a little bit gray, right? Totally. And if with further investigation, you could identify that they are, you know, a particular opportunity. Um, right. And this is really interesting, right? Because landing pages and, you know, smart inbound tactics can't necessarily, they don't, they don't understand they can, they can't you know question the buyer and find out that level of information at the top of the funnel um, right. and so this is why you know what you're doing is is such an important part of of growing a pipeline yeah. I mean, exactly. we've, we've completely digressed from, you know, the email to metrics. I mean, this is awesome, right? Um, again, we can, we're going to... So let, let's get back to, uh, to yeah. the research component. <laughs> yes, let's go back to... <laughs> so we've, we've spoken about the email. We've spoken about, you know, three words, short. It compels them to open and you're yep. maximizing the real estate of that, of the actual intro of the email. Yep. So then they've opened the email and what should... You know, what should it look like? Should it be long form? Should it be short? 
Should there be pictures? Should there be no pictures? Should it be branded? Should it not be branded? Tell us a bit about sort of how to send high quality, you know, outreach emails in the body now. Yes. Um, a few tips. Text only. I, I don't like images. I don't like GIFs. I, I don't like branding. Text yeah. only. 125 word limit. And separate thoughts belong on separate lines okay. with a white space in between them. You need to make your message as easy to consume, as easy to digest, as easy to scan as possible. And if you send a block of text, good luck. It's yep. getting deleted. So separate thoughts for in separate lines is a hugely important tip that a lot of people completely overlook. Yep. And then before you send your email to your prospect, read your email out loud. I know it sounds crazy, but read your email out loud. And if it sounds like something that you wouldn't say that I wouldn't say to you, why are you saying it to your prospect? Yeah. Like make it, keep it professional, but don't be overly formal. That's crazy. And don't be filled with jargon that only makes sense to your company. Make sure you're speaking in plain professional language that will pique their interest. Yeah. And if you can do those things, uh, your, your, your response rate is going to skyrocket. The last thing I'll say is send your email to yourself first and look at it on desktop and look at it on mobile you get one swipe on a mobile phone. And if it's more than that, they're not going to respond. It's too long. So okay. 125 words is kind of the key there. So just on that, right, in that 125 words, how much should be your value prop or your narrative positioning statement, whatever word you want to call it, how much should be about you versus them? should all be about them. Okay. It should all be about them. And you can couch the value that you provide to them but it should all be about them. Yeah. And so if you can prove to them that you understand what's top of mind for them or the pains that they're experiencing, and you can segue pretty seamlessly into the value that you provide, the benefits that you provide with that your solution provides, then you've done your job. Okay. And typically, the way that's done is by softly providing content that they can explore, that they can click through, that they can get the details of exactly how you solve XYZ thing by you just saying, hey, here's something that other folks have found interesting, thought you would too. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Yeah. And that's your call to action in those first few emails. Very soft, very inviting. It's this concept um, that a person on LinkedIn, his name is Josh Braun, yeah, has yeah, made popular. Making deposits. You want to make yeah. a few deposits first before you try and make any withdrawals. If you go in guns blazing, asking for an hour of their time without any framework or any context for why they should care, they're not going to care. Yeah. So um, that, that would be my suggestion is keep it short at the beginning and provide value via content first. Yeah. So if you're doing that, is there anything wrong with having a CTA that mentions, you know, we'd love five to 10 minutes in your diary, book a time if it works? Is there anything, is that okay to do in that first email if you're providing value and it's personalized? I, I think you can if you yep. want. I, we personally or we uh, at Clary don't do that. We okay. keep it even softer than that in the first one. We're like, hey, here if you need me. Ha always happy to jump on the phone and chat. All right. And then when do you, in your cadence, when are you putting that CTA in? Is it the second or the third? Third or fourth touches okay. is when we get them. And in between all of the email activity that's happening, we're on LinkedIn. Ah, oh, so you're doing LinkedIn and you're doing the phone as well. Yep. yep. And LinkedIn is so powerful. And of course, the phone is too. The especially, mm. it depends on your, your target market, of course, but we're selling yep. salespeople and salespeople answer their phone. Um, so LinkedIn is really important because it's not just about connecting with them and selling them something immediately in that connection yep. response or in that message. It's engaging with their content. It's putting a face to your name. 
when you see things that they've posted or published or commented on, go and like their stuff. Comment on it in a genuine and thoughtful yep. way. This is how you understand who they are, what they care about, and it's how they understand who you are. And when they see your name in their email inbox, they say, wait a second, that name looks familiar. Yeah. Do I know this person? It's funny you say that. So I spoke to a CEO of one of the largest recruitment firms um, in Australia on Wednesday. And you know we'd been engaging not one-to-one, just purely on content. And yeah. I know he'd seen my content because I'd see it. Look, I saw his company name come up when you look at, you know, who's viewed. Um, a couple of likes and some other posts. I engaged in his post. And when I called at 12.30 on his mobile, right, during the day, he answered. For anyone saying the phone doesn't work, he answered. And when I said my name, he was like, oh, hey. Like, there was an actual, like, we had a connection. Yeah. Right? Now, this is in traditional sense, this is a cold call because it was an unsolicited, he didn't ask me for a call. So yes, people go, well, it's a warm call, you've warmed them up. Regardless how you want to cut it up, it's a cold call. Yep. Right? Um, he spoke to me for 10 minutes. We had a great chat about his enablement plan, what he's doing current state, what he needs to do moving forward. And the next thing I got was a call with his head of sales enablement, which I had 10 minutes later. We got a meeting booked in four weeks. That's awesome. That's so, awesome. you know, and, and so this is what I'm saying for anyone saying the outreach component is dead. It's far from dead. And, you know, you have just confirmed for me that, you know, recently a business was sold for gazillion dollars <laughs> based on, you know, running a scalable outreach model. So, mate, I know that, and, and the other thing I think what would be great for our listeners, and I mentioned earlier, is to get some of the examples of these emails so that we can circulate and show them what is actually working right now that you've done, you know, time and time again over thousands and thousands of, 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 of emails that are going out. So, mate, I want to just ask you a question. In, in your, and I ask every guest this question. Is sales an art or a science? It's got to be a little bit of both. It's got to <laughs> be. Yep. Yeah. You've, you've got to find a way for technology to take, to take care of the science so yep. that you can focus on the art. And if you can figure out the right way to do that, the exact way that I mentioned before, you know, we have outreach. That's we, 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 of course, we set up the sequences and we know when touch one, two, three, yeah. four happens. If we structure all of that, that's the science of it. We know the best practices. The mm. art is the actual content of the emails that get sent. And that's individually managed by our individual reps. That's amazing. You know what? That's actually amazing that you're you're giving them the autonomy to be creative with those emails. 100%. Because I see so many organizations, and, and I say this, yes, we should give templates, and I build those templates for my clients. Cold outreach is a little bit different. I go, because there's got to be that personalization element. If it's inbound, there is an element of automation when it's the first response or, you know, because what I'm finding really interesting about this is you're empowering them to be creative in the process, which is, which is awesome. And all the emails I'm going to share with you are a hundred percent from the minds of yes. the reps doing the job. Yeah. The, the people in the trenches, the people doing the work have the best ideas. Yeah. They know way better about how to do this stuff than I do because they're doing it every day. Absolutely. Um, so I, I love spotlighting their work. Um, a lot of the, the stuff that I do on LinkedIn is spotlighting the work mm. of our individual reps. Um, so I'll, I'm happy to share some of the, the just wait. awesome work that they're doing. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And my biggest influence in your career so far and why? 
a person or a, a yeah, book person, or, a book or a, a you know a podcast. I mean, what's really helped you, enabled you to be the best you can be? I got some uh, advice pretty early on um, from my CEO at, at Looker, who was very early. He was he probably started a few months after I did, and he told me that if I wasn't failing, then I wasn't working fast enough. I wasn't trying enough things. I wasn't experimenting enough. Wow. And he gave me permission as a 24-year-old to fail and to not feel like I had to hide those failures, but that I could learn from them. And that just gave me so much confidence to try stuff and, and have confidence in myself that when things were not going well, I would figure out how to course correct. But just having a bias toward action and and not being afraid of negative results yeah. is super important in in sales. You know what? That that's just pumped me up, man. It's you know for me, it's Saturday morning. You know, I'm going to be prospecting after this to the US <laughs> because it's still Friday for you guys over there. But this right. is awesome. It's that for me is is sort of the best description of what sales is about. Because we're putting ourselves out there, right? We're putting ourselves out there for rejection. We're putting ourselves out there into meetings where things don't go well. Things go great one day, they might not go well the next. But it's that ability to then learn from every aspect of those experiences that enable us to be the best we can be. So I love that response. So mate, before we wrap up, where can our listeners find more about you um, and engage with your content? Yeah, so uh, LinkedIn is really yeah. the only social channel where I'm active. Um, my handle on LinkedIn is Kyle T. Coleman. Um, check me out there. Yeah. And then I'm also working on this little side project that we're calling SDR Defenders, where we're trying to make sure that the way that SDRs are thought about by sales leadership is up-leveled. Yeah. Are, SDRs are not cogs in a machine. They are not numbers on a dashboard. They are strategic thought mm-hmm. partners with AEs. And their reputation needs some serious work among especially older school sales leaders. Yeah. So sdrdefenders.com is, is where we're trying to aggregate all that content. All right. We'll be pushing that out in the show notes. But mate, look, this has been awesome. And I think what's going to come from this is a few other episodes on particular so. topics. Because, you know, I think for me, cadence uh, is one of my favorite topics on uh, building cadence plans and, you know, executing and testing and reading and watching. So mate, I've really enjoyed this episode. Um, thanks for, you know, the contribution you're making to the community. I just love that, you know, the fact that you, you want to elevate SDRs because every person involved in the process is someone of value, right? And there is no one more important than the other from CRO to, you know, SDR day one, right? So I really appreciate your time, mate. We're going we're gonna to share some of your content and uh, yeah, I can't wait to have you back on the show. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs>